Scripture reading for this morning is from Genesis chapter 12, verse 10, to chapter 13, verse 1. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I encourage you to have your Bible open. If you uh, don't have one with you, there should be one in the rack before you, and this text is on page 9. In 2006, uh, I and my family were living in Kalamazoo, Michigan. I was uh, church planting in Kalamazoo. We were renting a home in uh, the city of Kalamazoo, in a neighborhood in, in Kalamazoo. And around that time, there was uh, an initiative that was uh, brought forth by an anonymous group of philanthropists called the Kalamazoo Promise. Now, the Kalamazoo Promise was for children who were living in homes and attending, homes in the Kalamazoo School District and attending the Kalamazoo School District. And, and the, the deal was this. If you were a kid who went to the Kalamazoo Public Schools, your parents were living in the Kalamazoo Public School District, you would, upon graduating from high school, be able to go to any state school in the state of Michigan So think University of Michigan, Michigan State, right? Any state school in the state of Michigan, tuition-free. This group of philanthropists would would cover that cost. If you stayed in Kalamazoo and went to Western Michigan University, you'd be able to go not only tuition-free, but room and board would be covered as well. It's the Kalamazoo promise. And so people started moving to Kalamazoo. People from around the country who could work remotely, would move into the Kalamazoo Public School District. They would buy a home and they would get their kids enrolled in the school system. Now, again, we were renting a home in the Kalamazoo Public School System, in in the Kalamazoo Public School District, and the owner of the home decided he wanted to sell the house. And in the lease, we had right of first refusal. And so I thought, this is a great opportunity right? We should buy this house. We'll be able to, um, at one day, sell it at a, at a higher price, right? So this seemed like a good investment. 
Uh, we were homeschooling our kids. They were in Christian school at the time. So it wasn't so much that we were thinking about the free tuition as we were thinking about how this home would appreciate. Oh, that's right. Locked into the lease was that we could only buy it at a small percentage above the asking price at the time that the lease was signed. Okay, so we were going to get the house at a good price. And likely, because of the Kalamazoo promise, whenever we chose to sell it, sell it and make you know, an ink, a good profit off the house. And so that was the plan. It made perfect sense. We bought the house. A year later, we shut down the church plant. Uh, the church plant failed. It didn't take root. And we needed to look elsewhere for a place to serve. By God's grace, you know, I ended up here as the pastor of Grace Church. So we had to sell the house sooner than we would have expected. And if you remember what happened around 2007, 2008, there was this little thing called the housing crisis, uh, the financial collapse of the housing market. And Michigan was one of the states that was particularly hard hit. Result being that we moved here to Rochester, uh, were able to buy a house here, well, we still had a house there. So clearly the banks hadn't learned a lot by that point. Um, and we ended up carrying two mortgages for 14 months. It devastated us financially. It had a huge uh, detrimental impact on us. And that house never did sell. We ended up having to let it go into foreclosure. It was, it was terrible. <laughs> what happened? I did the same thing that Abraham did in this passage. I looked at the circumstance without listening to the Lord. I acted without inquiring of the Lord concerning his will in the matter. And it's a temptation that we face in a lot of different ways. You know, maybe you're looking for a, a new job, right? Your job is hard. You know, there, there may be a, an opportunity that present, is presenting itself to you, or you're ready to start knocking on some doors, see what doors open. It seems like the right thing to do. Everything at a, at a human level would indicate you should do this. But have you listened to the Lord? Have you waited upon him? Of course, it's, it's not just things like, you know, looking for a job. It's, it's major purchases like a house. Um, it's a question of whom to marry if you're single. Um, it's what kind of course of action should I take with respect to health care if I'm facing a, a particular illness. Right? These, are, these are answers to questions that, that we need to pursue. There aren't necessarily, you know, moral issues involved. It's not a question of what's right and wrong in a, in a moral sense. Uh, there may not be a clear command from Scripture how to move forward on it, and yet they're decisions that are weighty. They're going to have a significant impact on your future and the future of those whom you love and are caring for. And we're tempted to either act without listening or to get paralyzed by fear and, and not act at all, but in either instance, never really stopping and saying, Lord, what would you have me do? Or I'm listening, I'm waiting before I act. Abraham would say, I get it. Been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. So let's see what we can learn from this passage about, uh, about Abraham. First, we're going to look at Abraham's unbelief. Because at the end of the day, this is an issue of unbelief. 
Abraham's unbelief. Second, we'll look at Abraham's deception. Third, I want to look at Sarah's silence. And then finally, the Lord's deliverance. So those would be the four things we hit on this morning. Abraham's unbelief, Abraham's deception, Sarah's silence, and then the Lord's deliverance. But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, we do pray that you would uh, give us wisdom. Lord, help us to learn from this passage. Lord, would you work by your spirit in our hearts that we might take to heart the truth of this passage. Lord, would you help me to faithfully communicate it? And then, Lord, would you help us to, in all the decisions that we make moving forward, trust you, lean not on our own understanding. And, Lord, in all the things that we have done that have been decisions that we've made because we have looked without listening and acted without inquiring, oh, God, would you help us to remember that you are working all things together for good for those who love you. Lord, with that confidence, would you teach us now by your spirit? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Abraham's unbelief. Now, you know, of course, you've read in the text, it's Abram and Sarai, not Abraham and Sarah. Remember, their names will be changed later in the story. I'm going to bounce back and forth between the two. So if I, if I say Abram, say Abraham, you know who I'm talking about. Same with Sarah and Sarai. All right, so Abraham's unbelief. It says right in verse uh, 10 of chapter 12, there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. Now, if you're familiar with your Old Testament, you know that going down to Egypt would be synonymous with unbelief for the people of Israel. That was just a clear sign, you know, things are heading in the wrong direction. If Israel's going to Egypt, it means they're not listening to the Lord. That wasn't the case yet with Abraham. This is like the origin story for that. Right? Abraham didn't have a history of Israel and, 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 and recognizing that to go to Egypt would not end well for God's people unless God was commanding them to go to Egypt. Abraham didn't have that. And so we can imagine his, his thought process, right? He's in Canaan. There's a famine, He's got not just, you know, his wife, but he's got all these people and family, others that he's taken with him. They're, they're living in tents. They don't own any property in Canaan. The people in Canaan don't know him or his family. He's a sojourner there. And there's a famine. So Abraham does something that seems perfectly logical. He looks around and says, okay, let's go from this place where there's a famine where we don't know anybody and we don't have any land and we're living in tents and let's go to that place where we don't know anybody and we're going to have to live in tents because they've got the Nile. They've got water. They've got agriculture. We can live there. And so they up and went. And it, from a human level, it absolutely made sense. But let's pause and think for a second. Well, what did we see last week? First part of chapter 12. God called Abram. Well, Abram was in the land of Ur, of the Chaldeans. God said to Abram this, verse 2 of chapter 12, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God called 
Abram, God gave him these promises upon arrival over in verse 7 of chapter 12. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land. In other words, you're here. Right? And then what did Abram do? Well, he was there. He, he worshipped the Lord. He built altars in two different places. He's, he's calling on the name of the Lord. So, so this is what's characterizing Abraham in this place. God has said, I will do these things for you. You are now where I want you to be. I will worship you, Abraham says to God. I will call upon your name, which is also, you know, we talked last week, indicating that he was proclaiming the name of the Lord to the people Around him. And then by the time we get to verse 10, whenever this famine hit, we don't see Abraham calling on the name of the Lord. We see Abraham looking at the circumstances without listening to the Lord. We see Abraham ignoring the I wills of God's promise and embracing the I must of unbelief. Now, the principle is, is this for us. Unless you are in sin or are clearly being called out, you are presently in your land of Canaan. Unless you are in sin or clearly being called out, you are right where you are supposed to be. Now, major exception. If you are in an abusive relationship, you are not in sin. It's not your fault. But you are being called out into safety. But with that exception, if you are not in sin, and if you are not clearly being called out of that circumstance, then you are where you are supposed to be right now. Your initial default response right now is not to act, but to listen. Not to move, but to wait. Now, you know, you rightly ask, well, how does that happen? I don't have God coming to me like he did to Abram and giving, you know, saying things to him. Well, the Lord, again, Abram didn't have everything that we have now. We have God's word. We have the community of God's people. We have wise counselors that we're to seek. We ultimately have the spirit of God who is going to you know, prompt and lead and guide us and give us a sense of where God is leading us. But it's not something that we do independently based on what we're feeling inside. We recognize that we are just as prone as Abram to look at the circumstance and then act without listening. But God has given us means by which we can discern as we walk by faith, when it's time to step out of a circumstance and into another one. Okay? Abram didn't wait and listen upon the Lord. The principle I just described, we see it in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 7.20 says, Let each person remain in the situation that they were in when they were called. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It's, you know... a yeah, life verse. <laughs> I feel like every time I open my Bible, I find a new life verse. But this one is a good life verse if you're looking for one. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge, look to Him, and He will make your path straight. Abraham didn't look to the Lord. He looked at his circumstances and acted without inquiring of the Lord. At the end of the day, beneath that was a fundamental unbelief. 
I cannot trust the I wills of God. I must act independent of him. That led then to Abraham's deception. Let me just say this first real quick. I know that I've been there. I know it is hard to wait and to listen upon the Lord. I know what it is like to be in a job you can't stand and want out. I'm not talking about this job, past jobs. I know what it is to be in a job you can't stand and want out and be pushing and pushing and, and, and not you know, knowing but acting and then finding yourself in a different job and going, why am I here? This is even worse than the one before. I, I know, as I just shared, concerning the house in Kalamazoo, but I wish, I wish I could say there were no other purchases, you know, significant purchases or actions that I've, that I've taken that wasn't a result of the same kind of thinking on my part. It's painful to wait. It's painful to act without waiting. Whatever circumstance you're in right now, if you are not in sin, listen. Listen to godly counsel. Listen to the word of God. Be patient. Wait. Don't act without inquiring of the Lord. Where did it lead for Abraham? It led to deception. So again, look back at verses 11 through 14. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. And then verse 14, when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Now, commentators who know way more about you know, the ancient Near East than I do, there's a lot, that they know a lot more than I do, um, they say that probably the plan that Abraham had here, now again, it was deception, Sarai was Abraham's half-sister. They both had the same father. We learn that later in, uh, in Genesis. So, you know, there is this sense in which it was a half-truth, but the half-truth is still a full lie, right? So say you are my sister. Ancient Near East scholars have, have said that if anyone in Egypt would have wanted Sarah, and if it was found out that Sarah was Abraham's wife, they would have killed Abraham, they could have, would have, in order to take Sarah. However, if it was discovered that she was his sister, you know, a family member, not, not a wife, not his wife, then they would have entered into negotiations with Abraham for Sarah. Now, that raises all kinds of things that are uh, very unpalatable. But the fact of the matter is that's how it likely would have worked in the ancient Near East if, in fact, Sarah was believed to be Abraham's sister and not his wife. Now, the conjecture, the place of conjecture the commentators will bring up is perhaps Abraham was going to use that period of negotiation, kind of stall things a little bit so that he and, Ab he and Sarah could make their way you know, back to Canaan. That is conjecture. There's nothing in the text, nothing in you know, the history of the ancient Near East would indicate that that was Abraham's plan. 
right? So the fact that that, could have, that negotiation would have been taking place, that's likely based on, you know, things that have been discovered. Whether Abraham had that plan in place, you know, let's get out of here on the stall thing so we can make our escape, no way of knowing. But what does seem to happen then, by the time you get to verse 15, verse 15, and when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, and for her sake he dealt, for her sake he dealt well with Abram. All right, so now what seems to be happening is, you know, these officials of Pharaoh learn of Sarah, they see her beauty, they tell Pharaoh, and guess what? Nobody negotiates with Pharaoh. Pharaoh takes what Pharaoh wants. And so Sarah was taken from Abram. Pharaoh dealt well with Abraham. He gave him all kinds of things, which you read about in verse you know, 16 and following. But the sense of negotiation and time, perhaps, to make an escape wasn't there. So that is you know, maybe Abraham's plan. The point, I think is that sin tends to build upon itself. So Abraham sinned by not inquiring of the Lord. He didn't listen to the Lord. He didn't trust God's will and plan. He didn't even inquire concerning it. And that led to, you know, this snowball effect of sin in which he's now trying to, again, we're threatened as we head into Egypt. I'm not going to call on the Lord here and ask for his protection. I didn't call on the Lord back there. Why would I do it here? So I got to come up with a plan. Oh, let's deceive people. And maybe then we'll be okay. And of course, people very quickly, specifically Sarah, got hurt. Abraham's deception led to other people's pain. So let's look third at Sarah's silence. Sarah's silence. All right, so, you know, the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. That's verse 17. Back up in verse 15, the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. You know, the question is, did Pharaoh sleep with Sarah? And it's not a question that has an obvious answer from the text. At one level, it would appear that the answer is yes. After all, as I just read, um, she was brought into Pharaoh's house. And then in verse 19, it says, you know, Pharaoh says, I took her as my wife. And so from that, it would appear that likely Pharaoh took her as his wife and slept with her. However, it's also possible that the answer is no. To be taken into Pharaoh's house, like we saw at the verse, uh, end of verse 15, likely simply meant, and again, this is, there's nothing palatable about any of this. It, it may have meant that Sarah was brought into Pharaoh's harem, in which she may have undergone a purification process, like you see in Esther, where Esther, for a period of 12 months, was being prepared to go to the king that may have been the case here. It also may have been the case that the plagues that afflicted Pharaoh and his household were not a consequence of him sleeping with Sarah, but a preventative measure, something that God did in order to prevent that from happening. I say that because when you read this passage, it's, it's, I think the inclination is to believe that 
Pharaoh slept with Sarah. And that, that may well be the case. But I do want us to understand there's more than that option. We simply can't say for sure what happened. What I don't want us to miss, because again, our, our thinking tends to go right to what exactly happened between Pharaoh and Sarah. I don't want us to miss Sarah's silence. I don't want us to miss the fact that as far as we can tell from this passage, Sarah did not have a voice. Commentators wonder, you know, if the deception was a ruse, like I just described, that, um, that it was a way in which Abraham was going to stall to get out of there with, with Sarah. If it was a ruse, was she a willing accomplice who unexpectedly, unexpectedly became a tragic victim? A lot of commentators take that approach. But the other option, of course, is that she was betrayed by her husband and used as a prop to avoid further pain in his life. All we know for sure is that by the time we get to Genesis chapter 16, when Sarah says to Abraham, take Hagar. Let's see the promise fulfilled through Hagar. By the time we get there, we have met a woman who believes that she is inconsequential to the plan of God. We don't know if Sarah had a voice. Women, you have a voice. We don't know if Sarah felt that she was inconsequential. We do know by Genesis 16. We don't know if that's the case in Genesis 12, that she felt that she was inconsequential to the plan of God. Women, you are not inconsequential to the plan of God. Men, we would do well to listen. When we put the house on the market in Kalamazoo, Wendy was saying to me, this is a bad idea. We should not do this. I didn't listen. And it caused pain. Abraham's unbelief, Abraham's deception, Sarah's silence, but finally, let's look at the Lord's deliverance. Verse 17, the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men concerning him, gave orders concerning him. And they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. What's happening here? Don't rush to, Abraham got out of it. See first, God rescued Sarah. Why? Because she was not inconsequential to the plan of God. She was essential to the fulfillment of the promise that God made back to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. A promise that absolutely impacts every one of us today. All who have faith in Christ are children of Abraham. You realize what's happening here. This is an Old Testament expression of Romans 8.28. 
Romans 8.28 says, God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. They are restored to the land of Canaan. God will not let his promise get off track. He will fulfill his purpose through those whom he has called to himself, Abraham and Sarah. So if you find yourself this morning in the land of unbelief because you have looked and not listened, because you have acted without inquiring of the Lord, because you have rejected the I wills of God and embraced the I must of unbelief, know that God will work this too out for good for those who loved him, for those who love him. And know that even now he is with you. I want to read you this passage from Isaiah chapter 41. Isaiah chapter 41, Isaiah, you know, God through Isaiah is talking to the people of Israel, people who are out of the promised land, out of Canaan. They've been sent out into exile. And God says this, But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corner, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Whatever circumstance you find yourself in right now, God is with you. And he will work this out for good. Friday was the uh, 30th anniversary of my 23rd birthday. If I could go back and change just one thing, only allowed one thing to change, it would be that I would listen more. Listen to my wife. Especially listen to the Lord. And yet, in spite of all the decisions I made looking at the circumstances without listening to the Lord, I can honestly say I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Rochester is my Canaan. Rochester's not my ultimate Canaan. And it's not your ultimate Canaan. The Lord will deliver us to that fair and happy land. He will take us from our far country into that place where we will be with him because he first came into our far country, our land of unbelief, in order to rescue us. Put your trust in the Lord. Know that whatever your circumstances are right now, God will see you all the way home. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would help us to do just that. You know the inclination of our hearts is to move away from you rather than towards you. You know the inclination of our hearts and minds is to act or to be inactive but in either instance to do so without inquiring of you, without waiting and listening, listening and ultimately trusting and believing that you are good. So Lord, we pray that, that by your spirit, you would help us to remember the gospel, 
Help us to remember and to preach it to our hearts that you who have loved us and rescued us will never forsake us and that you will see us all the way home to your side. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.